Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who was a second-round draft pick of the Florida Panthers in 1993. He played 348 regular season games with the Panthers, Vancouver Canucks, Tampa Bay Lightning, Carolina Hurricanes, of course, then the only team that matters, the New York Rangers, and the New Jersey Devils. He helped lead the Carolina Hurricanes to the Stanley Cup Final in 2002 and is the Hurricanes' all-time leader in playoff goals against average and save percentage. He shares his insight on the NHL Network as an analyst on its nightly flagship program, NHL Tonight. He's also contributed to NHL.com. It is always a pleasure to welcome Kevin Weeks to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Kevin. How you doing? Thanks, Mark. Appreciate that, man. Thanks, everybody. How's everybody doing? Everyone's doing well. And, you know, t- tonight's spot is obviously a lot more than just sports. And I wanted to share this with our audience. Uh, I grew up on Long Island. My mother marched in the civil rights movement in the 60s. I saw last week three towns here on Long Island where racism was on open display. I was both physically and emotionally sick about it. I felt helpless. Uh, the more I was on social media, the more I was sickened by what I saw. And then I came across your post. And this is what that post said. And I'm going to put it up on uh, Facebook Live so people can see it as well. All right. So it was in response to something. It said, you barked up the wrong tree. Let me just start by highlighting both your ignorance and arrogance. The day you have bananas thrown at you on the ice, the day your family and loved ones have to hear people scream racial epithets while you're play, while watching you play, the day you have to worry about some media intentionally calling you a wrong name when they know your legal name, the day you have to answer, why did you not just play basketball, the day you have to worry about you and your family being legally harassed, the day you have to feel fearful of a police officer in either Canada or the U.S., the day you have to explain and prove to officers that you didn't steal your car, the day you and your parents are belittled by authorities at the airport, the day your mom gets belittled at the grocery store, the day crooked legal systems exploit your finan- you financially, the day you, f- you finance hockey camps at Malvern and Ice Sports Scarborough that help produce 12 NHL players and give countless others access to the great sport of hockey, the day you are a fellow NHL ambassador, the day you support numerous initiatives in Barbados, Canada, and the United States, the day someone, you, feels arrogant enough and privileged enough to tell you how to feel in response to an attack within your racial community, then and only then can you tell me how to be better. Until then, commit to being part of the solution as opposed to perpetuating the problem. Now, Kevin's been kind enough to talk to me for my books. He's always helped me promote books. So I kind of reached out to him as just a way of showing support. And I, I have the feeling it helped me more than it helped him. So Kevin, look, you know, no matter how much a white person can be for equal rights, it's truly more than that. It's truly trying to comprehend everything you wrote in that post, which why, and, and I'm sure that only skims the surface. So how right. do we as a society make that change? Well, that's, I mean, that's a trillion-dollar question for sure, maybe more. And first of all, thanks for, for everything that you shared and, and the fact that your mom marched um, in the civil rights movement is, is beyond impressive because the curves that that would have taken uh, then but sadly enough, is same as the courage that it takes today. And I think that in and of itself is, is pretty disappointing just by where we are instead of good and where we, where we can be and where we all deserve to be. I think that's really most important. And the fact that I'd have to answer that gentleman uh, the way I did on that Instagram, therein lies the problem. 
like therein lies the problem. I, I should never have to do that. I would never think to, um, neither would my parents or my sister, you know, my girlfriend, any of our family, either side of our families, we would never think to be arrogant enough to think that we could write that to somebody, ever, right. on a public <laughs> forum or any other forum. So, you know, just from that standpoint, it's, it's despicable. And I think to what you were talking about, if I can kind of expand on what you mentioned on Long Island, where, I mean, this is Metro New York. <laughs> like, it's Metro New York. Right. Whether it's Long Island, whether it's Uniondale specifically, whether, you know, it's Long Beach, whether it's Queens, whether it's Brooklyn, um, you know, over here on the Jersey side. This is Metro New York. And, you know, and I say this respectfully because, you know, I am very fortunate to come from, have three countries, I should say, my ancestral home being beautiful Barbados, and that's where my parents were born, that's my culture, so Caribbean blood, and then be raised in Canada and learn the game in Canada and play the game in Canada and then live in the States the majority of my, you know, and for almost 20 years, and, you know, being an American resident and soon to be citizen, I, it's, it's embarrassing that we're having this conversation. And, you know, for obvious, based on on the breakdown of the population, we don't have to have these conversations as much back in Barbados, but Canada, sadly enough, we have the same discussions, and I firmly believe that, uh, that we have here in the United States. And, you know, there's a lot of people that leave different parts of the world to come to North America. You know, and everybody leaves for different reasons. You know, some people left Italy at a different time. Some people left Greece at a different time. Um, some people flee persecution. Some people are, are in revolutions. Some people flee by way of war. Uh, hunger, you name it, but the first name of this country is United. Right. <laughs> like, it's your first name. It's our first name here. It's not the divided state. <laughs> it's not the supreme state. It's not the supremacy state. It's the United States with a capital U. And really, just by your first name, like just us living up to our first name as a country, uh, let alone you know, the destination, the destination of choice. And I'd even say, you know, our continent, North America, between here and Can here in the United States and back home in Canada. The world watches us here. We set the pace. Right. You know, we're the best of the best in so many different things. It doesn't matter. Music, basketball, whatever, track, pro sports, collegiate sports, you name it. Entrepreneurship. I mean, there's so many finance, there's so many different things I could say. But that comes with the responsibility of treating your fellow, um, you know, your fellow woman, man, child, grandfather, whoever the case may be, neighbor, treating them with, with the respect that we all deserve. And certainly for us as black people, uh, and for any person for that matter, treating people one-on-one -on -one with a basic sense of humanity. And the fact I have to explain that means that there are people that are part of the problem, as I said, as opposed to being part of the solution. Uh, you know, I, I did a deeper dive afterwards because, uh, you know, when I talked to you, I told you, you know, how helpless I felt, and I, so I can only imagine how you feel. So I went and did research, and, and I looked. Back in the 40s, there was a panel established by President Harry Truman, which submitted a 178-page report on America's civil rights failings, okay? In that, there was a lengthy section on pro police brutality, and, and the report said... There is evidence of lawless police action against whites and Negroes alike, but the dominant pattern of that race prejudice. The committee wrote, Negroes have been shot at supposed, supposedly in self-defense under circumstances indicating at best unsatisfactory police work in the handling of criminals and at worst a callousness willingness to kill. 
Then in 1960, mm -hmm. Lyndon Johnson announced the creation of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, which would become to known as the Kerber Kerner Commission. The Kerner Commission ended its final report with a note from Kenneth Clark, whose research had informed the Brown versus Board of Education decision. He said, I read that report of the 1919 riot in Chicago, and it is as if I was reading the report of the investigating committee on the Harlem riot of 1935, the report of the investigating committee on the Harlem riot of 1943, the report of the McCone Commission on the Watts riots, he had testified to the committee. I must again in candor say, you members of this commission, it is kind of like Alice in Wonderland with the same moving picture reshown over and over again, the same analysis, the same recommendations, and the same inaction. How much of that inaction after, you know, this replays over and over again is, is more proof that there is systematic racism. I mean, you know, that Curtis Commission was 1968, right? So, um, I mean, just the fact that we're having a conversation, you know, like if you think of any disease, uh, there's some things that every one of us out there may have to live with, you know, whether it's, I don't know, something degenerative, whether you're diabetic, whether, um, you know, you need oxygen, whatever the case may be, you know, every one of us and every one of our family members is afflicted by different things, right? And some of those things maybe indirectly, it might not be you, but it might be your auntie that's going through breast cancer. It might prostate cancer has come through that or whatever the case may be. Somebody has shingles, you know, maybe your uncle. But the fact of the matter is, we try to eliminate every single disease possible. So when you go to any medical center on Long Island, and heaven forbid you have to or a family member does, you want the best outcome. And the best outcome means eradicating that disease or that pain or having a corrective surgery to return to a quote-unquote normal. I talked to somebody today that had uh, two stents put in and suffered a heart attack last week in the hockey business. You want a sense of finality to whatever it is that afflicts you. Why is this any different? This is a disease. Honestly, I don't think people are playing with a full deck of cards when, when they're like that. And they're this way towards other people. It's not normal. No, it's it, not. It, it isn't normal. It's not a normal mentality to feel supreme. You win the Stanley Cup X amount of times, and you're the Islanders, okay, you're supreme then. <laughs> Danny Pop Band at that time, sure. The great Brian Trotche as well, sure. You know, we could have a conversation. Mess in the Rangers here in 94, absolutely. No problem, man. I get it. Plus the other five times you won it, absolutely. But aside from that, like, you know, you might be supreme by way of your performance. You might be Tiger. You might be, you know, Jordan. You might be Tom Brady. But the difference is they still are wired to go out and do it and be it every day. The late, great Kobe Bryant, Sidney Crosby. You know what I mean? Like, they're wired to do that every day, to be great every day. And the only reason I say that is that's where, I don't know, any type of excellence or supremacy comes in. The St. Louis Blues winning the Cup last year. But otherwise, as you're walking down the street, depending on which way you land on the color wheel, it doesn't make you supreme to anybody else. You have a place in the Hamptons, it doesn't make you supreme to anybody else. You, you red hair, blue eyes, it doesn't matter where you're from. Like, we're all people, unless somebody else is a UFO. So... Um, <laughs> That level of supremacy and that thought of being supreme to other people and feeling like you can mistreat people because you're on one spot in the color wheel and somebody else is on a different spot of the color wheel, um, I'll never understand that. That's a sickness. 
So well said. You know, I remember talking to Haven Moses on our show, and we were talking about Colin Kaepernick's protests. And Haven was a teammate of Jack Kemp, who back in 1964 in New Orleans for the AFL All-Star Game saw black players turned away from nightclubs, refused rides by white taxis. Uh, When they announced that they would not play in New Orleans the next day, he conveyed a team meeting to declare his support for the walkout, though it meant risking his starting role as a quarterback and team captain. I asked him uh, if Kemp, who is no longer with us, um, was on the 49ers, if he felt that he would, you know, side with Colin and take a knee. And he said, absolutely, you know, he was a teammate and he could say, without a doubt, absolutely, Kemp would be next to him, you know, supporting him. Were you surprised at how little support Colin got from his white teammates and how much that would have helped back then? You know, it's only two years ago. How much would have that helped the whole situation that's going on in the world now? I mean, unquestionably, clearly it would have helped a great deal because it would have been more of the messengers that were amplifying the message. Right? Yeah. So, so in that sense, you know, if you're one fan, I'm going to use the analogy, if you're one fan that's in the garden and you're yelling, let's go Rangers, and it's only you yelling, or you're at the, you know, you're at the Coliseum and you're yelling, let's go Islanders, it's only one person. Unless you're Aretha Franklin who's yelling that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, unless you're John Bon Jovi who's yelling it, you have the pipes, or I don't know who you are. But otherwise, if that's not you, then, you know, you, it's amplified by we have other people echoing that, right? And other people getting behind you. And then all of a sudden, it's not you. It's the, not only the, the person beside you on the seat. Now it's everybody in your role. Then it's the whole bottom part of the building. Then it becomes a whole building. And there you get that crowd chant. And, you know, then it has a whole different level. So not dissimilarly here, Colin Kaepernick stood for what he, be- what he believed in, and what we should all believe in, at least on a general level, is let's eradicate social in- injustice, police brutality, and allow us as people that live here in the United States, or as I say, back home in Canada, or anywhere in the world, but you know, I could speak North America because this is home for me, allow us to be treated like, like people, and not like we're expendable, I don't know, animals at a slaughterhouse. That's, that's just not normal to go around murdering people. It's not, nor- it's not normal to have people, you know, weaponize the law in ways that are advantageous to them just because, or the lady in Central Park, or the lady that's been on the viral videos out in California who's yelling epithets at um, the, Asian, the young Asian girl and her boyfriend who are working out in a, in a park out in California and yelling epithets at them two days in a row. It was just yeah. not, like, why is this happening? Like, and how is that not punishable at some point? You know, it's not enforceable. And the same thing with police brutality. And, you know, I have a lot of friends, I have family that work in law enforcement, you know. But at the end of the day, even last night, we watched The Five Bloods from the great Spike Lee. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. It's an incredible movie. Because I do have family that has served in Vietnam. And, I, and you know, there's a lot of people that don't know. One in every third soldier that was in Vietnam was a person of color. So, you know, in no way, shape, or form... Is anybody, is anybody here, and specifically I can't speak for Colin Kaepernick, but his whole thing was, hey, man, let's just all be treated equally. Right. As I said from the beginning, this is the United States of America, and I say the same thing back home, 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 original home in Canada. And everybody across the board, certainly for us as black people, but whether you're Jewish, Russian, Portuguese, Brazilian, Latino, American, whatever the case may be, we need to treat people like people one-on-one. And 
we have to end this disease that is systemic injustice, legal system injustice, people feeling above the law, saying what they want, weaponizing uh, the law to their, to their advantage, and uh, weaponizing you know, different people of authority or their authority against some of us and, and marginalizing us for no reason. It doesn't make any sense. Hi, Kevin. This is Ryan Sherman. So a harsh reality and a, and a real heartbreaking one that I was understanding this week that was shared from a black content creator on IG that I really like, uh, Keith McPherson. He was explaining how he's had to um, go through life feeling like he needed to be exceptional. So not only could he just, you know, have been good at sports, he needed to be exceptionally good at sports or in the classroom or in business when he was in the corporate world or anything. The way he was, you know, so self-aware of his own skin color wherever he was because how it would relate to the people around him. So is that something that you've experienced in your own life, not only on the ice where there's, you know, a predominantly white sport, but, you know, off of it in your business ventures with no five hole and, and things like that? Every day, you know, very every day. I'm fortunate my parents are open-minded people, but they always told my sister and I, as young as I can remember, and now being a 45-year-old man, literally not yesterday, um, I'll get to that in a second, but the day before... You know, every time I get off the phone or I get on the phone, my mom and dad, my mom's always like, remember, you're black. Keep your nose clean. Make sure that you have all your documents. You have your passport. You have your license. Blah, blah, blah. You don't want the police to have your hands behind your back and then you're on CNN and blah, 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 blah. Why would somebody's mom have to say that? It's just unimaginable. So so what's frustrating, though, for me is is that there's been this this rhetoric on the other side that now those conversations that need to happen where, you know, black families are having conversations with their kids about, you know, the things that you were just spoken about, how to carry yourself and do those things. And uh, a conversation that was on Sesame Street this week about, you right. know, people of, of not people of color having those conversations with their kids. And that got turned into, like you said, weaponizing it into fear mongering and, and turning people into cults so young that they turn against their own parents. And, and yeah, it just, it just gets really frustrating. So I, I couldn't understand how frustrating that is for you, but really that it's just terrible. Yeah, I mean, there's, listen, there's some, there's some values and, you know, everybody has their own moral compass and their own values. But, you know, for us, my parents always told us, be, be clean, be presentable, be decent, be respectful, respect your elders, you know, be decent with authorities, uh, be mannerly, all those different things. Work hard, hard work's the name of the game. Those are old world, old world values, and I'm so grateful, um, and my sister and I are so grateful that our parents ingrained those in us but at the same, and instilled those in us, but at the same time, you know, on the other end of that is, you know, you have to work twice as hard. You know, you have to be twice as good. You, why? Like, why would we have, why, bless my parents for telling us that, but they should never have to. And, you know, I, I think that some of those values are transferable. I don't think that those are necessary. Those don't have to necessarily be rare. <laughs> like, if you're not decent, then, you know, what are you? If you're, you know, if you're if you're not clean, then the opposite of clean is maybe dirty. Like if you're, you know what I mean. And if, right. if some people think that those are, those are things they want to be cool. But I don't. You know, if you're Jewish from Long Island and your mom's from Tel Aviv, or you know, you are Irish, your parents came from Belfast, and you live in the Upper West Side. Like, I think some of those things are just human one-on-one things. But I do know that for us, they're enforced. Like that content creator was saying, and I did know that. I knew that from the jump. Like from when I started playing hockey, I knew that because it was instilled at home. And, you know, all the way through my playing career, why should my parents have, and my sister, you know, significant other and friends, why should they have to be subjected 
and sitting in an NHL arena or an OHL arena in junior or whatever it is, hearing people yell racial epithets at me while I'm playing. Why should I have to have a banana thrown at me when I'm playing? Why should any soccer player have to have a banana thrown at him or her when they're playing? Like, and these, that's our place of work, you know? And I mean, even when I first started broadcasting, when I was doing games for Hockey Night in Canada, in, in addition to doing the NHL Network, Monday through Thursday, right from the hop, I was on TV more than any hockey analyst in the world. But when I first started as a quote-unquote rookie in broadcasting, like Monday through Thursday, NHL Network, Go to the airport back in Toronto at the time, fly to Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, or wherever the late West Coast game was for Hockey Night in Canada, fly back Sunday and do video Monday morning and go back on the air. And literally, when I would go out West, you had a segment of people, what's he doing out here? He doesn't understand what Western hockey is. What? This is playing in the NHL. Wow. We just broke down the Edmonton Oilers. You know, we literally just broke, broke down the Edmonton Oilers twice this week on the NHL Network. And now they're playing Saturday night, and I'm doing color. You don't, you don't think I know this team? Wow. What are you saying? Like, so those are the types of, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more, it's a little more subtle. And other times it's as that, or as I said, some media types in certain markets, and I won't dignify the market, but on purpose they would call me Steve. <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. So, you know, it's interesting because, I always like to look at history, and I look at things, and I always wondered if today's media and social media existed in the 60s, how much of Dr. King's Uh message would have spread. But now seeing how toxic social media is, and then carried a step further, you know, cable news networks, the fact that a woman who's a TV host on a major cable news network said this in response to LeBron James' 17-minute interview with ESPN, where he discussed family, personal growth, the challenge that comes with being black and a public figure in America... Her comment was, it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to bounce a ball, she said. Right. And, she kept, and she went on and said, keep the political comments to yourself, shut up and dribble. Uh, Yet this yeah. past week, in response to Drew Brees' comments about kneeling, when he said you know, initially yeah. that he, he wouldn't stand for it and he was against it, that same woman who was against yeah. any athlete you know, taking a political stance said... I mean, he's a person. He has some worth, I would imagine. I mean, this is beyond football, though. So how much does you know, that add to you know, ingrain that same mentality that we're now seeing, in, uh, not only ingrain it, but embolden them to be able to, listen, it's on regular TV. I can say this. This is the way I feel. Because they know they can. Because right? she can. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've never had that. That's, and therein lies part of the privilege that we talk about. Like, I've never had that. I would be wheeled off. My IFB would get caught in the chair. Yeah. They'd roll me out the door. Yeah, how does she still have a job? Station. How does she still That's have a point. job? But we know who she's speaking but, for. Yeah. We, but how does she but, still but have a job? If you and I said because, something well, like that. that. Yeah. But she, she does because there are people in authoritative roles, not all of them, but there are a lot of people that think like her. So she's emboldened enough to not only think that way, but to act that way and say that that way in which she said it. Right? So this is the whole thing. I, starting at home, and I believe a lot of this, listen, if I tried that at home, I'm 46. If we go to visit my parents now in Toronto and leave home in Jersey, that's not flying. <laughs> that's not going to fly. <laughs> like, and it might not even be my dad that pokes up. It might be my mom that pokes up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I know that. And I, again, like, my parents will always say, hey, listen, just be responsible. Try not to say anything on TV that's going to come back to haunt you. 
I'm a pro. I'm a pro's pro on television or in any platform for that matter, but they still feel the need to reinforce that. So at least, I've, again, as I said, it starts at home. I know that. And here in our house, that, that wouldn't be able to fly if I were to sit, go on the air and say that. But the problem is that lady, that said reporter, and I know exactly what you're talking about, she's allowed to. And she knows she's allowed to systemically. And she knows she's allowed to, um, you know, by way of her privilege and her being on a certain part of the color wheel. Otherwise, she would never say She wouldn't even have the inkling to say it, let alone say it, right? So that's a big part of it, and that's what I get back to where people show you their colors. Like at the end of the day, I know that sounds ironic mm-hmm. that I'm using that, but people show you who they are. And I always say you're either a part of the solution, you're neutral enough to be around, or you're part of the problem. And unfortunately, for the people that feel that way or that think that way or some people that think that way, they know that they can – leverage, which is a word that I've had used against me before. Well, we can leverage. You know, we have leverage. Well, who, what does that mean? Exactly. Like, what's the situation? Like, are we bench pressing and <laughs> you're spotting me? <laughs> and I got on two plates. You know what I mean? I got 245 on and you're over top of me. Well, I guess you have some leverage because you're going to help me get this up to crank these reps out or maybe this back on the rack. But what exactly does that quote-unquote leverage look like? And people are very savvy when it comes to knowing where they land that way, and therefore you can see how they act or how they don't. So one of the things that gives me hope right now is the diversity of these marches, how young the people that were moved to join in these protests um, and how diverse the crowd is, women, men, white, black, Latino, everything. Um, The question for me is, will they be able to sustain this, continue to do the work that needs to be done that will lead to meaningful change? What gives you hope that this is different, you know, that right now, you know, we're at a point in, in history that maybe maybe we're not going to say the same Alice in Wonderland, seen this film, seen this you know, play out, seen the recommendations, and 10 years from now, here we are again. I think the pressure of social, the pressure of, you know, the advent of social media, um, its rate of, ampl- of uh, amplification, and the way that it's able to connect people all around the world. And it's, it can be immediate, like instant. So when you use it for the good, an awful, horrific murdering of George Floyd, and when I say the good, somebody had the presence of mind to document it, and people documented it, so that you, you know, it wasn't one of these things that you could fluff off. No, come on, you're kidding me. No, there's no way. No, you're that No, 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 no. You saw it. Right? So you, don't, you can't conveniently rewrite history, but you can document history real time now. And I feel like that's a big part of it because things that could get swept under the rug before, and people know when they could do it. They're cunning. A lot of people that are that way, they're cunning. And they've been cunning. And, you know, again, like I said, they know that they're in a, in a position of privilege by systemically or organizationally or whatever the case may be. So they're, they're very cunning where that's concerned. They know what they have legally. They know that they have, you know, a family member that has influence with the chief of police or or a federal judge or whatever the case may be. And maybe they're in the same country club as them. Maybe they live in the same city as them or, you know, their personal friend, whatever the case might be. They know that. They know when they have those pocket aces. 
so now the best part about that is, okay, what would have been in the court of public opinion, per se, and it would have been your word versus their word, more people look like so-and-so, say, in this case, okay, even if it goes to a jury, more often than not, the system is going to err on the side of, of him, right, and going to rule on the side of him. And there is, therein lies the system, the justice system. So, but the good part is now is that's indisputable evidence. Because people know, like, just imagine being in school. Like, you know, you have a classmate and they foolish. Depending on how they look and how the teacher looks, they might side with that person. So now it's your word versus their word. But imagine if there was a camera in the classroom. All right, let's go back and watch the tape. Right. That was one of the best things about me playing hockey. That's what I loved about it. <laughs> Like, inconvenient when I let in a bad goal, but, you know, the reality is that game's on tape, and I played in the NHL, and it's indisputable. You can't go back and rewrite history, which a lot of people conveniently like to do when um, they're trying to shape a quote-unquote narrative that suits what they want it to suit, or, or otherwise. Yeah, the cameras are everywhere. That's the benefit to me. Yeah. yeah, cameras are everywhere. You know what? Okay, cool. Right. All right, sounds good. Cool. We've got you. All right, whatever. Whatever the case may be. Because, again, a lot of times it's going to go back word of mouth. And, I don't know, is there Jamaican? Eh, we don't know. We believe you. Your parents are from Barbados? Eh, we're not sure. But we love going on vacation there, though. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the, the cameras everywhere are a big help. We, uh, just the shooting totally. in Atlanta now, you, you have on video the policemen picking the up shells before they went and helped the guy even checked his pulse. They picked up the shells before the crime scene was even investigated. Of course. So, yeah, so, and that's and on, people are complicit. Right. Listen, people are complicit. Let me, let, let me jump you for a sec. Here's the one thing, right? Like, I go, I, I, I'll, I'll echo what Nick Saban says. And, and Nick Saban said, I want to get the right people on the bus and put them in the right seat, and I want to get the wrong people off the bus. Right. Like, that's in a coaching sense for him building his program, okay? And he always says, mediocre people don't like high achievers, and high achievers don't like mediocre people. And I'm not saying that to quantify where somebody works, what they earn, what they don't earn, but just think of it as human 101. So if you are, if you skew on a certain side of the racism scale as being pro-racist, well, odds are you roll with people like that, right? And if you are on the high moral fiber and a top-class person like Sidney Crosby in our league, for example, well, I want to be around Sid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because I, we see things through a similar set of lenses. We err on the same side. But somebody that's complicit or, you know, they want, to, they want to take advantage of people, they want to exploit people, they're opportunistic, they want to marginalize people, then typically they're around people that want to do those same things. I'm a firm believer in that. Unbelievable. So, like I said, I actually called you last week because I was so distressed by this and, uh, and, and felt helpless. And so I guess no, the I question that. is, the question is, yeah, for those of the people yeah. out in the audience that you might have felt the same way as I do, all right, and, huh? and maybe didn't go out and, like, like AJ, our co-host, all right, he's in that category, probably feels the same way, would probably be compelled to march, but also because of COVID, it's not going out there. You know, what can huh? we do to make the world better? Those of us who truly believe, you, you mentioned United States of America, but on the other you know, flip side mm. is who truly believe mm. in, in, you know, in liberty and justice for all. What can we do? I mean, 
liberty. I mean, you just mentioned liberty. Well, like, what does liberty mean? Like, does it just mean for a certain segment of people that live in the Upper East Side or Upper West Side or, you know, people that live in Calabasas or Beverly Hills? Like, I mean, everybody should have basic liberty as a human being. Everybody should have a basic fair shot at the justice system, um, irrespective of where they come from. If they're a single mom from Dallas or, you know, if they're Latino Americans, uh, that emigrated to California 35 years ago, and they're now U.S. citizens, or they're migrant workers. It doesn't really matter. I think that all across the board, just start by being a decent person. And your daughter is not the only kid in the school that matters. Your nephew is not the only kid at the baseball academy that matters. You know, your parents at the seniors' home aren't the only people that matter. Like, just humanity 101, be decent to people, be respectful to people, treat them decently, regardless of how many vowels they have in their last name or when they just moved here from Italy or whatever the case may be. Be, be decent to people. Start there. That's always a good starting point. And then from that, you know, listen. Listen. Like, don't turn your head away and don't plug your ears because it's not what you want to hear. Listen to what people have to say that are experiencing certain things. And then learn. Educate yourself. And then try to apply yourself. If there's something that you want to do, if you want to support a cause, the Thurgood Marshall Scholarship Fund, if you want to support the NAACP, if you want to support a local Boys and Girls Club chapter, if you want to then give support to um, a school, in, an in-school meal program that helps serve, you know, hot breakfast, lunch, and snack, as an example, or a little closer to home. There's a girl on your daughter's soccer team. And again, I don't know, maybe her parents are Haitian or they're black American without a Haitian background, whatever the case may be, just start by being decent in those ways and just get off the pedestal. There's no reason to be a pedestal on a pedestal. Like I've been in the NHL for 22 years between playing and broadcasting, but when I go into stop and shop, I push my cart like anybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not levitating. We're not levitating. We're in there and, hey, man, we want to kick it old school and get a hamburger helper or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like honest, the guy, we keep it real. Do we get a box of Lucky Charms today? Or today, like we're in the city and we're going to Italy. All right, it's, maybe it's a little different. Okay, we want some chicken breast from Italy, some organic chicken breast and some peeled shrimp. I don't know. Like, it, in my case, you know, and a lot of people look and say, oh, well, professional sports, these athletes, these people. But there's no NHL bill. <laughs> there's no MLB bill. There's no NFL bill. You know, we're all function of where we come from, who we come from. You know, everybody should be meant to feel proud. Don't not be denounced by way of, you know, your grandmother being a Holocaust survivor and now you're somehow less than. Right. By the no, way, feel proud of who you are. You know, it's important. Go ahead, please go. Absolutely. And by the way, they now do have Lucky Charms with Frosted Flakes. That's a game changer. Yeah, I know me. that one. The mar- uh, of that, course it is. That's a game changer. And the marshmallows. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the baby blue box. I know that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Before that I let one. you go, I want to lighten it up just a little bit. All right. And, yeah, and we course. did this. You need. And we did this to your former teammate Ryan Callahan last week. And I'm going to ask you the sure. same exact question. I'm going to tell you to put your NHL Network analyst hat on. And I had the honor, have the honor of covering Henrik Lundqvist's entire career. Um, we mentioned mm-hmm. before how social media can be polarizing and toxic and ugly. And when it comes to, to this, I'm clearly on Team Hank. And, and maybe it's because I get to watch his work ethic, watching how much he cares, how much he wants to win. Do I think Igor mm-hmm. is the future of the Rangers in that? Without a doubt. However, for me, 
I think the best situation would be to have Henrik mentor the young goalie next season, even push him a little bit. I think Georgie is a good goaltender, but even with Hank's salary hit, I think it's better to keep him here than buy him out. I still think you can get a decent return for Georgie. So here's the question. What do you do with the Rangers' goalie situation? And let's go one step further. Given Hank's success against one of your other former teams, the Carolina Hurricanes, the team the Rangers are going to play in the play-in round, who do you start mm-hmm. in game one against the Hurricanes? I mean, if, but I'm going to preface this by saying Hank and I have been friends since he came in the league, and, you know, um, we've been friends since. So, But objectively speaking, for me, I, I would roll with Hank. I would, just based on who he is and what he's done. I would roll with Hanky. I don't think it's a missed opportunity, you know, if, if uh, Shesterkin, if Igor doesn't start, or if Georgie doesn't start, I'd roll with Hank. And go from there. I know he's been skating. Yeah, and he's so so competitive. I'm not, I'm not certain. Yes, exactly. And I do know that that Shisterkin uh, is skating down in Florida. But I would say, given Hank's track record and, and his experience, it'd be hard not to start him if I'm, you know, if it's me. But I'm not Coach Quinn. But that would be me if you if you're asking me in a vacuum. I. I <laughs> Love it. Love it. And I actually. Yeah, that's what I would do. I actually got to hang yeah. out with you and Hank at Hank's initial foundation um, right. uh, kickoff up on the rooftop. But here, and I do promise people that if they throw something in the chat room, I try to get it. So in closing, I'm going to use this yeah, question. What do, you, what do you have? All right, this is from Barry, Barry Shelley. He says, Kevin, I know you played for the Fort Wayne Comets for a dozen games during the 97 yeah. 98 season. Did you ever meet and get to talk to Bob Chase, who actually was a guest of our show with, with Mike Emmerich, because Bob uh-huh. Chase was Mike Emmerich's idol? Uh, he, yeah. This guy, uh, Barry Grew up in New York, listened to WOWO radio yeah, whoa, during the whoa. 70s, and loved listening to yeah. call the games. He wanted to know if you ever you know, got to, a chance to meet uh, the legendary Bob Chase. Yeah, God bless Chaser's soul. Chaser was one of the best broadcasters and was one of the best broadcasters, excuse me, in the history of pro sports. And when I first got to Fort Wayne and I was first assigned by the Florida Panthers, our, our then GM, uh, the late, great Brian Murray, who gave me my shot in the league. But Brian told me, he's like, Kevin, you go down there, you played as a number one guy your first two seasons in uh, the AHL coming out of junior. If you come down to the eye and you show you can play, I'm going to make a trade. I'm not trading Beezer, Van Beezer, but I'll trademark Fitzpatrick and you'll get a spot. But you got to go down there and dominate, which I was able to do. Um, he lived up to his end of the bargain and he gave my shot. I'll be forever grateful. But I love my time in Fort Wayne. The late, great Bob Chase uh, was awesome. Ahead of his time, class through and through, respected every player, respected the person inside the jersey that the player was great to my family. You know, my dad came to Fort Wayne when I first got there to get, help me get situated. My parents would listen to games in Toronto, which is eight, nine-hour drive from Fort Wayne, and they'd hear that signal as clear as day mm-hmm. in their kitchen or in their living room, and they'd listen to games when I was playing in Fort Wayne. So. The late great Bob Chase was great to me. Fort Wayne organization, the Franke brothers that own it, they still do to this day, even though it's now in the ECHL as opposed to Gold IHL, now that that's disbanded. But uh, it's, a great, it's a great city, and the state would have it. Um, you know, my girlfriend's family are originally from Fort Wayne, and I didn't know that because she grew up in Calgary, but her mom's from Fort Wayne. Wow. <laughs> so awesome. uh, if that wasn't kind of serendipitous, and just to show you how small of a world it is and um, how interconnected, again, we all are at the end of the day, whether directly or indirectly. So, um, yeah, that was my experience. I love the late, great Bob Chase. And people like him and the great Doc Emmerich 
um, you know, the great Chico Resch, the great Sam Rosen, JD when he was behind the mic. Obviously, he was one of the best in the business. Those types of people were very objective. They were very fair. And I knew that as a player. You know, the great Linda Cohn on ESPN. Um, any one of those folks, they loved the game. They put the game first. They served the game. And they treated us with uh, a decency and respect. So that's why if you hear me on the NHL Network, and for those of you that tune in and we appreciate you, I don't believe in slandering players or markets or anything of that nature. We have a great sport. And I listened to those greats. And I heard them on the calls when I played, and I was able to take that from them and apply it to the way I approach broadcasting today. Awesome, Kevin. I, you know, if you want to slander one team, me being a Ranger fan, you can slander the <laughs> Islanders. Uh, that, that's fine with me. Uh, Kev, thanks so much for your time tonight. Uh, more importantly, thanks for all your support over the years. You know, when I'm, whenever I'm doing a book, you're always kind enough to either promote it or, or talk to me for the book. I appreciate it. And I really, truly, uh, you know, I always look forward to seeing you at a rink or up in Toronto or your world, anything. But now more than ever, can't wait to see you at a rink. Thanks so much, Kev. No, I appreciate that. Thanks a million for having me on. And as I mentioned, man, thanks to all the fans that watch us on the NHL Network. We appreciate you. And just continue to be empathetic, be kind, um, you know, be as compassionate as you can be to, to your fellow person. None of us here are UFOs. We're all people. Um, you know, that means a lot to us as black people. I'm sure it means a lot to people in the Jewish community and a lot of different communities, you know, the Muslim community, whatever the case may be. Uh, we're all people at the end of the day. So uh, I just also want to thank all the great NHL fans and sports fans in general that tune in to watch me on my Instagram live at Kev Weeks and all your warm messages. Your warm messages, as I said, uh, on other platforms, I'll say it here on yours, uh, the encouragement, the support, the empathy, the compassion is, is really, truly moving. We're at a, I, what I believe is a historic time uh, in our history, and I think if everybody just puts their best foot forward and treats their fellow human being with a sense of decency. We can all get through this together and continue to be great and get back to being great and be greater than we ever were. Awesome. Perfect words to end the segment with. Thanks so much, Weeksy. Be good. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. You got it. The great Kevin Weeks, former New York Ranger, currently of the NHL Network.